Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And today we're thrilled to be joined by Chelsea of the podcast Dear Young Rocker to talk about a lot of things, but like the impact moms have on our self-esteem and women and girls in the music industry because podcaster is just one of many hats you have worn and currently do wear. Mm -hmm. So, hey, Chelsea, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Of course. Could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Certainly. So I am Chelsea Urson. I'm from Boston, and I'm an independent podcast producer, and my show is called... Dear Young Rocker. And Dear Young Rocker is an audio memoir of myself, ages like 11 through eventually early 20s, about struggling with the things that many adolescents struggle with, body image, anxiety, social anxiety, you know, depression, a lot of things we all go through, and then how I found the outlet of music to help me through all of those struggles, and how I discovered that on my own, and then sort of processed a lot of feelings through playing music and then playing in bands. I was a bass player, and so I kind of recreate how I found the bass and started playing it, and I recreate the sounds of my first high school bands. Um, and then I also give advice to younger people who might be going through the same things I went through at that age. And I try to really level with teenagers as opposed to sort of talk down to them and say, oh, you know, stop being so sensitive. You know, you're going to outgrow this phase, et cetera, et cetera, that I was told when I was young. So I kind of say, your feelings are valid and let's talk about what's going on with you and it's okay to be you and you're not alone in what you feel. Yeah, um... I when I listened to it, I I immediately connected with a lot of it, and I could. Oh yeah, I remember being. Right. <laughs> I remember. I also started a band in high school, but it didn't go oh. anywhere. Uh, <laughs> I like you did a little green color pop, just to emphasize. Yeah, yeah. I was very cool. Oh great. Um, but yeah, I really appreciated how when you're writing these notes or letters to your younger self. It's from a place of understanding. Yeah. Like, this is why you were feeling this way. Mm-hmm. And people with anxiety in particular, mm-hmm. like no one was telling you that. And right. so I think that's a, a great approach because we do often right. talk down to younger folks and we dismiss. I feel like we forget that mm-hmm. we were that too. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't have helped for someone to right. be like, oh, yeah. Get over it. Yeah. Right. And I, exactly. I was thinking the same thing when I was listening. I was like, man, this is so familiar. I remember mm. having those thoughts in my head about this is if I could just do this or if it, I, this would change and mm-hmm. why won't this happen and this is the worst or this is the best. Right. All of those situations. I'm like, oh, my God. It was like yesterday yeah. when I had those anxieties trying uh-huh. to be a teenager and when you feel very different from yeah. the crowd around you, you're like, what? Right. What, what do I do now? Right. So it was very nostalgic. Also, you were a part of a controversial conversation last night 
because we were talking about the music that you were referencing and about uh-huh. whether or not we were like, that's cool, that's not cool, what did you oh, have yeah. We had a whole moment of yeah. rhythm oh, yeah. about, you know, whether it was about Green Day, Lincoln Park came in. Lincoln yeah. Park. <laughs> I'm not ashamed that I like Lincoln Park. Oh, yes. yes. So that was a whole conversation of mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, I forgot about all these yep. things yeah. and loving these things and feeling so a part of the lyrics or the music and feeling mm-hmm. that angst and how genuine that felt in the moment right. and how oftentimes we do ignore that. And I know I, I work with teenagers, who at-risk teenagers, and oftentimes mm-hmm. how dismissed they are, yeah. but also how connected they were to, they are to music and to words and writing yeah. and how it feels so personal for them. Yeah. So it's a right. beautiful, beautiful podcast. Thank you very Good much. <laughs> yeah, the, the words of teenage girls in particular are usually seen as silly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, write in your diary and then burn it when you're 20 because it's yeah. too embarrassing, which is what I did, unfortunately. <laughs> so oh. I had to go back and like kind of recreate memories through conversations with friends and, and whoever. But at this point, as more of a, a grown-up, I guess, <laughs> um, I feel like those those feelings were valid and important because that was the beginning of who I am. Like, mm-hmm. I've leveled out, but those feelings still happen sometimes. Right. I just know how to deal with them, and I don't want to pretend that I'm a completely different person than right. that that teenage me, right. even though it feels like I am. You know. Yeah, yeah. You can see the inklings yeah. of what you would become. Right. Right. I think it's just more accepting that this is okay, yeah. more so than changing. Be like, right. all right, like I've accepted this is where I am, and these are the coping skills right. I've learned growing up. Right. I'm like, okay, panic attack. Here you are again. <laughs> Let's hang out for a minute in the right. bathroom, right. and then like yeah. instead of like, oh no, my life's gonna end because I'm panicking. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And kind of going off of that, something we've talked a lot about on this podcast, and even recently in talks that we've given um, and it's recurring theme in your podcast is anger mm. and particularly anger when it comes to women and girls. Yeah. Um, and I, for one, have been real honest with people on the show. I never learned to express it. Yep. I struggle being angry. I go from zero to, yeah. oh my God, right. terrifying angry. Mm-hmm. And because of that, like I've often joked, even though I think it's true, I, instead of expressing anger, I would allow like something hurtful to happen. Right. Um, So can you talk about your experience with anger and finding this acceptable outlet to express it? So, yeah, from a very young age, I have very early memories of feeling like, I guess, rage, just uncontrollable feelings like I just wanted to punch all the boys on the playground or or whatever it was or yell at the teacher who corrected me or... And... I, no one told me this, but I had absorbed the message that it's not okay for a girl to feel that way. Mm -hmm. That if I were a boy, I could go punch someone and they'd be like, boys being boys, just playing on the playground. But I knew that if I did that, I would be, what I told myself was I would be crazy. Mm -hmm. And so I couldn't let anyone see that side of me. And so I kept it in, which I think a lot of non-cis males do. We keep our anger in because we don't want to hurt other people. Mm -hmm. And so we hurt ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so I hurt myself over and over keeping that in. And I was never presented. I remember I asked my parents if I could play football because I felt like I needed to get this out. I intuitively knew that. I didn't like sports. Mm -hmm. I just felt like I had to release this. And they were like, no, you're going to get hurt. You can't play football. We don't want you to have a head injury and whatever else. Or as my dad said, we don't want you to hurt your little boobies. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. And so, yeah, I kept it in for years. And then 
of my own volition, I started playing music and listening to heavier, like, alternative rock bands. And when I was listening to those songs, that angry feeling was channeled into something, into those heavy chords and those that headbanging I'd do along to it. And during that time, that uncomfortable anger, like while I was listening to a song or playing along, it didn't bother me anymore. Like physically, I mean, anger and anxiety is so physical and can like just make you, you know, nauseous and headachey, have a migraine, whatever. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know that's what was happening. I had terrible heartburn and I didn't even know that's what it was. And it was from anxiety. But when I was listening to music, I didn't feel that anger and I didn't feel that anxiety. And I couldn't express that to anyone. I just knew how I felt. Mm-hmm. And I think still now it's any girl or woman that feels angry is always going to check themselves and want to put it on themselves first. So then when it does finally surface, because you just can't fit anymore in that bottle and the cap <laughs> pops off, yeah. it's like, where did that come from? Right. And you just want to say, it's been there building forever, but you might not even be able to verbalize that even to yourself. So, And at this point, like I said, I, um, I see those feelings. I still have those angry feelings, but I'm like, okay, here we are. I'm going to make sure I go to a kickboxing class later or I'm going to like play with my band or something, scream at a pillow, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah, and I just wish it was, I still don't think it's something that's talked about. It's like, again, normal for boys to have hormones and be testy. Right. Um, but everyone has hormones. Everyone goes through adolescence and their bodies change and they can't keep up with it and their brains can't keep up with those changes. So mm-hmm. why do we act like there's just one specific gender that that happens to? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of bodies changing, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you dig into body issues a lot as well, yeah, right. as do we. Um, and you talk about how when puberty hit for you, it kind of hit your bottom half mm-hmm. and not your top and you felt like two different people. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and then this push from your mom to wear 90s jeans right. <laughs> and your preference for boys' clothes like Jinkos, which I also totally was like, yep, I remember this. <laughs> yep. I remember this. And wishing strongly that you weren't a girl. Right. Um, and really despising girliness. And right. you later came to understand you, what you really despised was like these expectations. Right. right. Yes. But can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. I, um, I mean, I was a shy, anxious kid. I didn't want to be looked at, period. Mm -hmm. And so anything about me that made me stand out, I hated. And so, yeah, puberty hit, and I guess I'm estrogen dominant or whatever. So I I got hips at a young age, and this was the early 2000s. No, butts weren't cool. They were like (laughs) the, that was like, your old aunt or something, you know, that kind of body shape was not hot, at least not where I grew up. Um, it was like you go to limited two and you get pants that are like one inch above, not even, right. like half an inch above your butt crack. And I couldn't fit into those things. Right. And I, I'd wear them to school and get made fun of. And I didn't want anyone to see my body. So I just wore the baggiest clothes I could find and justified it to myself being like, oh, I'm just not feminine, mm-hmm. um, even though I didn't really know what any of that meant yet. Right. Um, and now I know I just don't like the baggage that being perceived as female comes with. Right. And I also can separate that out from my own 
internal qualities and physical qualities. And, you know, they're not necessarily related to gender in any way. They're just different qualities about me, and it's a big mixed bag. But at the time, I just thought I'd do anything to not be a girl because I just hate how it feels. Yeah. And that seems like that's an ongoing conversation about how limiting it can be when you have these defined, biased, and binary gender roles and what kind of problems it creates for young girls. Shoot, for adults even, as we're trying to figure out what we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to be perceived, even when we're talking about anger and talking about political candidates. And if they not necessarily speak in a tone or loudly, but just... Uh, being actually making a statement, mm-hmm. being assured in themselves, and mm-hmm. having an appropriate argument is angry, and it's kind right. of this negative tone of, oh, these are not likable women, mm-hmm. and to be likable, you have to be agreeable in all things yeah. and meet these expectations. And, you know, and I, I think like I love where where you're looking at. I love the fact that you do talk about how you just wanted to cover up everything yeah. because we know that that's one of the big conversations with. Billie Eilish, and and her whole point of not necessarily being a fashion statement, but but just, I don't need you to know what I look like. I don't need to show that off. And then also, I know recently she just, at a show, actually took everything off and was like, you can't Uh, define me to be one way or the other. I want to have the option to be however I want to define myself. So did you think when you see things like that happening, do you think that is a step forward rather than like, Mm. hey, finally, (laughs) we're actually on the same page. And yes, these are the same issues that kids are going through today that I went through Mm. 20 years ago. Yo, I I date myself (laughs) at this point. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there is this you know, feminist message out there. You can dress however you want. You're in control of how much or how little you reveal um, based on how comfortable you are and what you want to say. And no one should criticize you for, you know, dressing in a bikini or dressing in a big baggy sweatsuit. But if you dress in a bikini, you're still going to get the same criticism you got 20 years ago. Right. You're still going to be on the tabloids with whatever yucky words. Mm-hmm. And being in the public eye that much at such a young age, I cannot imagine. I mean, I was just in my little middle school of 50 kids or whatever Mm -hmm. and was terrified of, like, wearing anything slightly form-fitting. So I can't imagine what it's like for Billie Eilish. Um, And I respect that she's like, okay, yeah. I think it was—she was waiting to, like, turn 18 to do that, I think. I remember— According to the media, which who knows, she might have <laughs> offhand just said something. But mm-hmm. I remember some quote was circulating like, when I turn 18, I'm going to, you know, express the right to show off my body if I feel like it. Right. And I think that's a good message. But it's like I said, even if kids feel empowered from that, they're still going to get that feedback in their social circles right. or whatever. Oh, look how. Sally's dressing today. Right. She must be trying to do or be whatever, you know, be part of the popular girls or something, you know, like cool she's kids. trying to impress someone or mm-hmm. so. Yeah, and especially now with social media, yeah. <laughs> which is like a megaphone too. Yeah. Look at me. Criticize me. Look at me. It's so scary. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and it's hard to, you can't, take out so many other threads. Like, it's great to say, yeah, sure, wear what you want, exercise, you're right, but there's, yeah, there's just so much other things and messages we've already internalized that maybe we don't realize we did, but we did. Um, And 
perhaps one of the, for a lot of girls, those messages come from our moms. Yeah. Yeah. And so when we were talking about what what should we discuss in this episode, you suggested the role of moms and self-esteem. Yeah. For girls and women. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and I I thought that was a great topic because we've off, we've gone from it the other way of how we always shame moms. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, there, there's this other side. Um, and I found some surveys about this. Of the 30 to 40% of women who said, yes, I think about my body and my body image every day, 46 of those, 46% of those women said, and it's because I see my mom doing it. Mm-hmm. So this is a, we are seeing what are the women in our lives are, and in this case, moms are doing, right. and we're internalizing that. And for me, um, my mom was really, really great, but she was a super thin woman who mm-hmm. was always telling me like, oh, I've got to lose weight or I can only eat this because right. of this. And I definitely took that in. Yeah. And I that became a thing of, oh, I need to be yep. skinny. Right. So how about for, I know you talk about it a little bit in the show, but uh, if you could expand upon it here. Certainly, yeah. So another thing I do is I volunteer at the girls' rock camps. Um, usually every summer I do a week. And it's, it's a camp where... Uh, a group of girls uh, ages 8 to 16, they get formed into little bands, they write a song together, and they perform on stage. But it's more about self-esteem than anything. It doesn't matter if they get up there and just go doot, doot, doot. Mm-hmm. As long as they feel like like they're owning it and they're happy with taking up space and they're like ready to be up there. And so we do a lot of workshops, self-esteem kind of stuff. And there's always a media workshop and... Even these eight-year-old girls start realizing, oh, the reason, like, I think this kind of outfit is cool or this thing is more girly or boyish is because of what I see on TV. And it's, like, very early feminist training, and it's great. (laughs) But I never hear the role of moms get talked about. And in my personal life, I think my mom was way more influential on how I think about my body and how I dress and everything more than any media. Mm-hmm. And maybe the media influenced my mom to feel that way about herself and she passed it on to me. But even more so, I think her mom, you know, probably did that kind of thing where her mom stood in the mirror and said, I need to lose weight and maybe not said that directly to her daughter, like, you need to lose weight, mm-hmm. but you internalize that. And, you know, I have a memory of like maybe nine or 10 years old, my mom sitting on the couch with my mom and her looking over at my face and saying like, oh, you have two blackheads on your nose. Let me just squeeze those out. And for all of middle school, I looked like I had horrible acne because I would just pick at my face every spot. Like sometimes a freckle that wasn't even anything. And I would just dig and dig. And it took like years of therapy to like (laughs) try and reverse that. And it's still a thing that happens. But I don't think I would have thought about doing that if I hadn't gotten that feedback. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I don't know what else she could have done, maybe gone for a facial with me or something. But <laughs> And it probably wasn't anything anyone would notice. But she also, yeah, she criticized herself. And, you know, when she's eating, she'll say, oh, I only want two bites of this. And I just want to say, like, oh, do you want an award for that? <laughs> but it, And it's it's sad now that I'm older yeah. to see how, like, important that stuff is in her life. And I've, you know, through my own sort of feminist 
community. I've let go of a lot of that. But Mm -hmm. every time I'm with her, it's just so blatant. And I remember her saying stuff like, oh, 10 more pounds and you'll be perfect. Mm -hmm. And that word perfect, that idea that you can be perfect is so toxic. And it's no matter what company I'm in, no matter how much therapy I do, I just want to like delete that, that idea of perfection. And that's one thing that it, it, it's really hard to get rid of. And I don't know if I ever will. And if I have kids someday, I'll probably do the opposite. I'll be like, you can wear a trash bag to school, <laughs> like <laughs> put dirt all over your face. It's great. Eat right. whatever you want, you know? Right. But yeah, I I hear a lot of, oh, it's the media, it's the tabloids, it's the pictures of the skinny models, but we don't talk about personal influences for body image very much. Yeah, and um, it's a vicious cycle because I was thinking about this, and if you are in a society where your value is your looks and your thinness and your youth, it's really hard not to like to shake that off for one, and even if you do, like that, that doesn't mean everything around you has changed. Yeah. But then you don't want to pass these messages on right. to young children. But it, I just I under, I can see how difficult that is, and um, especially for some older generations mm-hmm. where that was just the thing. Right. Like they don't they aren't seeing it the way that we're seeing it now that we've had a lot of these conversations. And it's also just generational, like each year things change or each Mm -hmm. decade, each century things change and expectations change, you know, from my parents thinking that the perfect life was having the kids and having this and this is the structure, owning a house and being Mm -hmm. this perfect unit. We've come a long way and and that's no longer necessarily the standard, Mm -hmm. but that level of that was the guilt that I was getting when I was yeah. growing up. Like my mother definitely would talk about weight and such, but it wasn't such a big deal in her head because she had kids, like multiple, mm-hmm. <laughs> to concentrate on at all times mm-hmm. and trying to be frazzled. But her message to us was being the perfect family, being the perfect mm-hmm. mom, being the perfect provider. And what that looks like if you don't have that, what is your life about? Yeah. What is the meaning of life? Mm-hmm. And being a nanny when I was uh, stopping in the many jobs that I've done, because I'm old, <laughs> um, one of the things I would see is she loved her kids, genuinely loved, loved, and doted on her kids, and was a great mom. But what she would never say to her kids, she would say to herself, which would be, I have to buy these pills. I can't eat today. This is the only thing I can have today. Even like posting pictures of herself and the way she poses and what mm-hmm. she thinks is important, the girl and the kids all replicated mm-hmm. what she did, but specifically her daughter was literally the spitting image at 12, posing in, however you want to look at it, the way her mom did, which was very sexy. And and as an adult, you do you. You Mm -hmm. be sexy. That makes you feel good about yourself. Go ahead, you know. Mm -hmm. But because she, as a 10-year-old, saw that as the goal, she tried to grow up very quickly to become Mm -hmm. her mom. And that standard was, oh, no, what is it? And it's nothing that the mom did because the mom, like I said, let her the kids be kids. It was just watching. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's this whole kind of standard of what have we built on our own selves that we don't realize is a toxic influence, as you're saying, yeah. on others. It doesn't even have to be although I did have the grandparent tell me, Oh, you're thick, you eating and I'm like, Thanks, grandma. <laughs> I had I had a aunt tell me I should shop in the maternity ward. Yeah. <gasps> like stuff yeah. like that were definitely the backhanded ouch. Mm-hmm. And you start really like I said, I I will never forget those either. Like I went as in prom, I was wearing this 
fairly form-fitting dress. I'm always, I've always been thick. It's not a thing that's ever going to change, and I'm, I've accepted it, and I mm-hmm. love that now. But the fact is, I remember the woman, older woman, looked at me. She goes, "You don't skip meals. You got good. You got good. You oh. got good birthing hips, though." And oh, yeah, the good was, birthing oh. hips. Yes, and I've like, heard well, that too. That's really old school. Yeah, that's thanks. I'm oh. gonna go hide now. <laughs> like, yeah. Trying to wrap yourself into looking at yourself too fondly, but yeah, like you don't yeah. realize how generational yeah. that is. But again, away from that, just your individual actions. Like you probably are could be the most loving parent, but right. the way you treat yourself is a reflection on how they mm-hmm. will treat themselves, yes. your children. Right. And yeah, it definitely is like, can we talk about breaking these things down? How do we yeah. do this? And that's one more thing of we got to look at our own selves and talk about the things that we are taking for granted in our own lives and or putting ourselves in a place that's un... You can't meet those standards. You will never be, as you said, perfect. And right. why is it specifically to women the mm-hmm. need to be perfect? And, the, of course, the definition changes from person to person, whether it's my family saying, you know, having a family, mm-hmm. that's perfection, mm-hmm. to a woman saying the body of this is perfection. Mm-hmm. When, can, when is it that we can actually let go of that's a thing that we have to do, mm-hmm. which, yeah, you do talk about that, and I love it. You break it down, and you bring in good old music with it on top oh, of it. Oh, and the classic pictures from your youth. Yes. I like that. <laughs> they were so good. I was like, oh, I remember that stuff. very brave. <laughs> uh, no, I, I would definitely show all my embarrassing pictures. I'm all for it. Yeah. Um, and, it, yeah, just to kind of put a note on that, another survey I found showed that young girls don't feel like they can confide in their mothers about yeah. the body image issues that they're having because they see their mothers having it. So it's... Right. It's a self-perpetuating circle. It's very scary because social media does make this worse. Mm-hmm. And eating disorders, the rates of eating disorders have gone up have in they? all oh. age groups. <sighs> and one clinic I found reported an increase of 400% of patients with eating disorders in their 30s. Right. So it doesn't go away. No. It carries with you, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so this is definitely something we should all be mindful of when we're interacting with children. Um, the, right. The messages that we're sending and we might not even realize that they're absorbing. Right. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah, that's one thing we're really focused on at Girls Rock Camp. There, We say, like, there are no rules, but you always say nice things to yourself in mm-hmm. front of kids. Mm-hmm. And you always say nice things to kids that aren't image-based. Like, wow, you're such a loving friend or you're sharing your guitar really nicely. Right. Mm-hmm. Or... You seem really confident on stage, not your outfit's so cute and you look so pretty today, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, We have a girls' rock camp in Atlanta as well. Oh, yeah. And my friend, uh, she was, Haley, she was a a big part of it. She was fronting, I think the directors, do y'all call those? Yeah, there's directors. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) She was was heading it up. I'm going to leave it at that. Um, And I went to see the final show. Uh And man. The, those shows get packed out. And those yeah. kids get really into it. They're actually really good. I'm like, yeah, I, I could have never done that at their age. Right. They're, they're developing and writing their own songs and mm-hmm. they're coming as a band and harmonizing together. I was like, yes, ladies, do your thing. Mm-hmm. Do your mm-hmm. thing. And I love that organization because it yeah. does foster so much a uh, self-esteem, but also teaches them, hey, 
girls can rock. What? Yeah. They can play instruments yeah. and they can hold their own and they can be a band without a man or a boy. No. What? Right. You can do it whatever way you want to do it, yes. as wacky and weird as it sounds. That's great, you know? It's so good. Yeah. You know, mentioning that they, they play on a stage in front of like 200 or 300 people yeah. at these concerts and it's this like radical, amazing support for them. Um, just everyone's cheering them on the whole time. That's so awesome, but it's this one little moment. And think about, you know, all these kids have Instagrams. Mm -hmm. They have TikToks. How many thousands and thousands of people are seeing them a day and potentially Mm -hmm. commenting on them, Mm -hmm. on their selfies or whatever? And even if they're not writing negative comments, just the kid knowing that their body is being seen by this many people. So, like, just having a space where they know they're going to get 100% support and and love and you're doing great. I don't know if it can overcome all of that stuff that's on the internet, but it helps a little bit. Right. Also, they get that moment of being a star. Yeah. Like, they are on stage, whether, like, that would make me probably pee my pants, to be honest. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, they get to actually be in the spotlight and and showcase their talent. That's a beautiful moment. And how how much are you going to remember that? Hopefully fondly, but you'll remember that forever. And what a great experience for that. Yeah, just that feeling... It's so rare in our lives where we have a feeling that, like, no matter what I do or say or how I dress right now, it's going to be okay with everyone around me. Unless mm-hmm. you're around very close friends. And even sometimes then, mm-hmm. you can say one thing in front of one friend and something else in front of another friend. And yeah. you don't know if the whole group's going to support you. So it's just that, right. yeah, beautiful support. It's amazing. Yeah. I love it. We have a lot more in our discussion with Chelsea. But first, we have a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Now back into the interview. I was researching into female musicians, and Mm -hmm. this kind of surprised me, even though I guess it shouldn't have, but they said it's like more of a masculine because it is sometimes physical, like the hitting of the drums. So it's so important for for young girls to see people, women and girls, doing this. So that's super valuable. But I also wanted to pick up on something because earlier you said you really wanted no one to notice you. You really oh, yeah. wanted right. to be invisible. Right. But you also had this desire to be famous and right. to be in, a, in the spotlight right. in a band. Right. So can you talk about that and yeah. sort of the, mu- the role music played right. and all of that? So I think I did want to be on stage and I wanted to perform And I felt like at the time I thought I'm just not cool enough, skitty enough, pretty enough, whatever, to be in the public eye. Like once I fix all those things about myself, Mm -hmm. then I'll do it. So I don't think I really desired to be invisible. It's just that I thought I had all these things wrong with myself because of my mom and whoever else. (laughs) Um, So I think what I actually really desired was to just be comfortable with myself, but I didn't know that at the time. Mm -hmm. And... Now that I am comfortable with myself, whether I'm performing for, like, three friends or a hundred people, it feels awesome. But I think if I had gotten up up on stage when I was young and there were only, like, two people clapping, I probably would have been like, I'm never going to do this again. Right. But, yeah, I... Yeah, I just felt like nothing about myself was, was ready to be in public. But I thought once I, you know... I'm, 
amazing at the bass, and I write these great songs, and I'm better than every boy in my whole school at playing, so yeah. that they can't say anything about me being good enough for a girl or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's when I'll make my public debut. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I just craved performing and, and playing, and I think also part of me thought that that was a narcissistic thing or mm-hmm. a selfish thing. Yeah. When it's just a human thing, right? you know, it's an, a normal thing. You want to be part of a crowd. You want to be part of other people caring about the same thing. All It's about, you know, even though you're the person on the stage, it's about all sharing music together with the audience and the other band members. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what I wanted. I just didn't think I was ready. Right, which is such a conversation we've had about misogyny playing into our mm-hmm. females' lives, thinking you have to be, again exactly perfect right. and have to go exceed the, not only you've got to be good, but you've got to be the best in order to compete and in order to be seen. And yep. again, it's such a thing that females and women, we think that's how it's done. This is how it should right. be. This is what we're going to, we're not going to qualify for these things unless, again, like you said, I have to be so amazing. They can't find right. one fault with me, which is such BS. Mm-hmm. Obviously, right. looking back on it, you're like, what? That's but impossible. Even, yeah. yeah, and even today, I think we all still struggle, I'm guessing, with that idea of we still got to be perfect yep. before yeah. we can do these things, mm-hmm. which is such an absurd conversation. But yeah, breaking down with, hey, little girl, yeah. that's not true. How do we, we're going to talk about how that is not true and you can push forward and practice in front of people and right. not be perfect and it's going to be beautiful right. whether or not you believe it or not even though everything's always worse in our head. <laughs> oh yeah and uh, part of that too is not having role models like right. yeah. I didn't see any women in like I don't know local bands or women that looked not perfectly put together. You know all I saw was like Gwen Stefani that was it. That right. was the only current female rock star I knew of and mm-hmm. she looks perfect. Right. <laughs> she is like ripped and gorgeous and writes these amazing songs and whatever else and is a mom and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And that's it. I was like, okay, so I have to be like Gwen Stefani or... Or that's that's the only... Or that's it, yeah. End of story. Not only do you have to be Gwen Stefani, but you have to be surrounded by all the men to be taken legitimately because individually if she had, I'm guessing... You don't see too many all-girl bands, or you didn't see too many. I mean, there was definitely some out there, we know. But their novelty of being an all-girl band was such a bigger part sometimes than their music, that yeah. they were, which is unfortunate because right. they were amazing. The Bengals, I still love them. Right. <laughs> I know I just dated myself a little more. But they were a phenomenal group, and I still love listening to what some of them do individually. Yeah, You know, it's just unfortunate that that's the level that yeah. we have to get to of like, all right, when do we take women seriously right. in this industry? And is it when they look like the yeah. perfect pixie magnet girl who can be both okay for the men to accept as well as women to accept? Right. You have to be this special shooting star. Right. And, all. and, you know, I think the early 2000s is also the perfectly wrong time for me to come of age because I missed the Riot Girl stuff. Right, right. In the 90s, I mean, you had Bikini Kill and Riot Girl going on, but also just the regular, like, Billboard rock charts, the mm-hmm. stuff that was playing on the radio was Alanis Morissette. Right. And it was, you know, a bunch of other women with guitars, whole, whatever, you know, all different shades of women playing rock music. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, probably half or more of the Billboard chart. I looked this up at 
one point, but it was like the 1994 Billboard Rock Chart. Like at least half of it were songs written by women. Yeah. Um, and in the early 2000s, it was like there's Britney Spears, there's Christina yeah. Aguilera, rock bands. There wasn't much going on. Period. I mean, there was kind of this 90s revival thing and that turned into emo, like the hives and the vines and stuff. Mm-hmm. So there were some rock bands, but pop was way bigger. Right. And it, it's as if that whole idea that like rock was going to be really equal after the 90s, it just disappeared. Yeah. And I didn't hear about it. All I knew about Courtney Love was that she was the crazy evil person that somehow killed Kurt Cobain. Right, yeah. And I didn't even know, I assumed her band was terrible, like never listened to a whole song, none of the guys in my band. They were like, oh yeah, Hole's like cheesy and stupid and we'd like kind of make fun of their songs sometimes. And I fell in love with those albums later. Right. Mm-hmm. But I, I loved Nirvana and I was like, yeah, I bet Courtney Love's like terrible. And I mean, oh, she's done a lot of problematic stuff, not saying she's a saint, <laughs> right. but at least she was a woman playing a guitar right. in the public eye. And right. there wasn't much of that when I was growing up. And she was definitely demonized, you're right, from oh, absolutely. Um, beyond that time it's, it's frame. It's called the Yoko Ono It's a whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Ono Yoko effect. Ono effect. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Which is Right. Awful. Her only role had to do with her husband's band. Right. You know, never mind all the stuff she produced herself. Right. And, and her songs were good. I, I'm, right. I'm thinking of, singing them in my head as we're talking. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot <laughs> about that band. And then her songwriting was attributed to Cobain, too. They said, oh, he wrote all oh, yeah. of her yeah. good songs. She didn't, you know. Yeah. Which is hilarious. You got you to love the conspiracy theories oh, about gosh. there's no way a woman did this. If it's Unless good. it's killing the man yeah. that we like, yeah. then she definitely did it. Then she is the one. <laughs> right. No yeah, that's means. a lot of hard work. I mean, yeah. getting yeah. away with murder on that scale, like, right. even if she did that, she'd be pretty smart. Right. We really don't trust women. Not we really all. don't. No. No. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Cool, 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 right. cool I've been cool. thinking about that a lot lately. Um, yeah. Well... So you, in the podcast, you detail uh, your band was, you were the only girl in in your first several bands. Oh, yeah. I was the only girl, like, in my school district (laughs) that I knew of that played anything. Right. Right. Yeah. And because this is a coming-of-age story, we might Mm. say, there there was all this kind of, like, drama of dating and... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Can you can you talk a little bit about that oh, and how do you think that sort of impacted? Oh yeah, it ruined things. Um, <laughs> and I think a lot of uh, women who started playing music young went through this too in their first bands. Mm-hmm. You're just you're the manic pixie dream girl, right? Because I I mean I had really bad social anxiety and as a nerdy socially anxious person, like I had my things I was nerdy about and I could talk to people about those things and that was it. Like mm-hmm. I didn't have social skills, but I could be like, this guitar has this kind of pickups and I know this album was recorded in Electric Ladyland Studios. Like I could nerd about music right. and. There weren't other girls that could do that. So I was seen as like this amazing whatever by the boys in my band. And they just immediately fell in love with me. And when I started, when I joined my first band, the leader of the band said, absolutely no band dating. But he (laughs) quit. And as soon as he quit, the other two boys in the band were like, ready. (laughs) And they both kind of tricked me into dating them. The first one... 
Oh, Amy, I, this is your story. You I know. Are oh, here. I know. It, and <laughs> I hate how common this is. Yeah. I hate it. Um, you know, my mom taught me a little bit about consent, you know, say no if you're not comfortable. But it's a lot more complicated in real life. She was just kind of like, say no, always say no. But you're trying to be cool as a teenager, right. you mm-hmm. know? You don't want to just be like, no, go away. And I had my first band, and this was my whole entire social life. So I didn't want to mess it up. So we went to, me and my band went to the little, like, town fair together, and I wanted to ride the Ferris wheel, and I didn't have enough tickets. And some of my other friends had tickets, and they were like, oh, if you kiss the drummer, we'll give you a ticket. And I was really self-conscious because I had never kissed anyone, and I didn't want anyone to know that. Because, like, ooh, a prude at 15, and so embarrassing. So I was like, sure. I'll kiss him, but <laughs> yeah, I can be cool. So I did, and I hated it, and I got the ticket. And then after that, everywhere I went, he was holding my hand and kissing yeah. me in the halls. And I was like, oh, I have a boyfriend now, but if I dump him, my entire social life's yeah. right. gone. Right. My band will be broken up. Mm-hmm. Like, I could sense the tension between the two boys because they both liked me, and... No one explicitly said any of this because we were teenagers. Right. Mm-hmm. But I knew if I messed it up, but by band, and I didn't think I'd ever have the confidence to find another band. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and then once I finally dumped the first one, the second one said, go out with me or I'll break up the band and never talk to you again. Wow. So I had two boyfriends and I wasn't that excited about, but <laughs> I tried to make it work. Yeah, oh, man. And I was like, okay, now I'm a little bit cool because I have a boyfriend. Right. But did I want one? Not really. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, it is unfortunate because, like, on a grander scheme, we still see things like that with right. adult women, right? Yeah. <laughs> Where right. you're like, oh, yeah, I'm dating this guy or the band or I'm out or right. like my chances are gone. Yeah. So it's really unfortunate. Yeah. What's your story? <laughs> Where do I begin? (laughs) She has so many. It is. I had a very similar experience where one day I was just dating some guy and I never said we were dating. Right. And you're like, when did I say yes or was I really not given a chance? Yeah. Yeah. And we're just together now. And (laughs) I I had no idea why this was happening. But then everyone's like, you've got to go sit with your boyfriend. Right. What? Your boy. Yeah. I actually... Through this podcast, I've had a really interesting experience of learning that I am asexual. And my band, uh, one of the, my my hit song that I wrote was called I Don't Believe in Love. And I only now just put together like, maybe I was onto something and I wasn't just being super emo. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe I was sensing it. Right. But unfortunately, my band, even though it was not very good and whatever, it broke apart because I I knew there was this expectation with one of the uh, other members mm-hmm. that we would date. And I was like, I don't even want to be around no. this. Right. So it's yeah, it's upsetting to think of lost opportunities or right. what non-consensual things have happened. Well, I mean, again, this is kind of, as you're talking about reflecting, this is, again, another conversation about how we are taught at a very young age that we can't say no, and it's impolite to say no, and it's impolite to not, you know, just go with the flow, Mm -hmm. and that it's okay for people to force their wills on people, and as long as they don't actually cry out no... Right. Then he, they're in the right, you know. And yeah. it was one more conversation of like, why wow, we gotta we gotta break these things down because, mm-hmm. again, you're yeah, you're talking about the fact that you're in 
a position where you were the unicorn, essentially, yeah. and being the girl that knows music, which right. yeah. there are a lot of those out there. Oh, just, I get it you know, all the time with like, comics. Like, oh, she's read a comic. Right. Must date her now. Right. <laughs> this so, is your criteria? <laughs> Yes. Yes. In the story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but that's that conversation of why is this these expectations so pigeonholing people into you have to be if you're like this, this is means this is what it means for you. Yeah. And this is the future you have, yeah. whether you want it or not. And you should not be able to say no because you've got to be polite. We've accepted you mm-hmm. into our right. small world. And sometimes like we were just talking about they figure out ways where there's no opportunity to say no, and you feel like you'll be, once again, the crazy girl if you force your opinion, your natural right to say no. But if if it's not in there and you're trying to be a cool teenager, be like, I'm not a prude, then that social influence goes so far, no matter what our parents or teachers, you know, best intentions trying to explain consent to us, Right. It doesn't happen like that the first few times when you're really young. You you don't see things as black and white. Right. But yeah. looking back on that now, I'm like, I should have just punched him in the nose. But <laughs> at the time, nothing, absolutely nothing mattered more than like social currency. Right. Sure. That was it. Right. And so I would have, yeah. Right. I mean, luckily they were nice enough. I just had some like goofy trips to the movies and the diner and whatever. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like a huge... No one was trying to, like, marry me, whatever, you know, but I didn't want to spend my time doing that. Right. I wanted to be in my room just playing bass or, you know, meet a girl who also played music. That would have been amazing. Right. And I know there's so many others, there were and still are so many others alone in their rooms feeling the same way. Right. And that's kind of the goal of my podcast is to get people to feel like, oh, this thing that I thought only I went through or I went through worse than anyone else, so many of us went through it. We were just at different high schools or whatever, you know. Yeah, Yeah, and I love how you break that down of it's confusing when someone says, oh, yes, if you make out with this dude, which is a cool thing to do, uh, you'll get the ticket. And it's just like so many factors coming in of, I don't want people to know that I've never kissed someone right. and then I don't want them to think I'm not cool. And then it's just a lot more complex than, yeah. oh, yeah, don't do that, kid. Right. Um, and I think that's really important for kids to know, to hear these stories, these really honest takes of right. what was going through your head yeah. at that time and why it happened at all. And like Because right. you don't necessarily understand all those things until you look no. back. Right. But right. you do know, oh, there's this confusing, weird, all this weirdness around it. Yeah. Um, so I think that's super important. And as a kid, I wish I had had something like that. Right. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I love the fact that you are having these conversations and putting this out there because it's teaching kids, it's teaching young people, it's shoot, probably teaching adults, you can say no. And, and what does that look like to be able to say no, even though you feel like you don't right. get that choice because, again, we are oftentimes pushed to a corner mm-hmm. and being not given that choice and feeling like, oh, well, I got to do this if I want to be A, B, or C, or D. Mm-hmm. And to actually have them being like, hey, no, you actually can right. say no. And it's okay. And by the way, you're probably not the only one right. that wishes or wants to say no oh, or yeah. just get off me or get away from me. <laughs> right. And it still happens. I, I mentioned this in a in an episode I got tricked into being on a date not that long ago, less than a year ago. 
Yeah. You do? Oh, oh, all <laughs> the time. So sorry to hear that. It's always like, oh, I feel you. I'm so sorry that you've also been through that, but it's once again so good to not be alone in yeah. those yucky, yucky things that happen. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I went to uh, see a band play and I was friends with the bass player. Um, and so he, you know, put me on the guest list, like at a, a really big club, but. I had no friends to go with me, went by myself, whatever. I was watching the show. And there were two dudes next to me, and they were like, oh, you like this band? I'm like, oh, yeah, I know the bass player. And we just talked about music. That's it. We Mm -hmm. talked about nerdy guitar stuff, recording equipment, like editing software, the most, Mm -hmm. you know, not flirtatious conversation (laughs) ever. No one asked me if I had a boyfriend. There was no talk of, like, dating. No one even tried to figure out if I was straight, whatever. Right. And then they, you know, this group of guys was like, let's get a beer afterwards. And I was like, sure, I have nothing to do, and they seem nerdy, and maybe it'd be a good, like, networking connection. Like, they're audio people, too. Mm -hmm. And we get to the bar, and suddenly, I don't know what, like, spaceship the other people took off in, but I'm alone with this one guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just looked at him, and he looked at me. Cause I He was totally taken aback, too. He, I don't think he was in on this plan. He seemed, like, kind of pissed, and he was yeah. like, we don't have to get a drink if you don't want to, but it, it was just weird, and, the, you know, the people at the bar are like, oh, you can sit here together or whatever. I'm like, no, oh. I'm not on a date. And I was like... I live with someone. I can't be on a date with you. Like, what just happened? And it was just confusing. I probably said really confusing things to him, too. Yeah. And again, I felt like that 15-year-old where Mm -hmm. my brain just couldn't compute what happened. I Mm -hmm. didn't know what to say, and I didn't want to just shout, no, no, no. But I, like, mumbled a bunch of stuff and then went home. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm an adult. These other people were adults, too. How is this still a thing that happened? Right. Yeah, um, I because of this show, right. am recently in therapy. So I've only been in therapy for like one year. Oh, and congratulations! One thing, thank you. Proud <laughs> of you. One thing that I've realized has really severely impacted me is that kind of thing. Where what I immediately do is I'm like, what did I? What kind of signal did I? Where did I go wrong? <laughs> and then I feel horribly guilty <gasps> about. Okay, well now I've got to hurt this person's feeling, and I didn't know this was a whole thing. And then it makes me not trust anyone else because they couldn't possibly just want to talk to me. Yeah. It's like, well, we're going to have sex or we're going to date. Like, mm-hmm. And it's just completely eroded my sense of trust. Yeah. And it's it's really... I, I didn't understand how deeply that that has right. impacted yeah. me to this day. I'm sure. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> that's another... It's It sounds so, like seemingly innocent enough because I think you said in that episode surely the friends were just they thought they were doing their friend a solid or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. But we need to think about the implications and repercussions of those kinds of things. Yeah, and who knows? They don't know what my experience could have been. Maybe I had been through something similar that turned out really badly and dangerously before. Like, just leaving a woman alone with a strange man is never good. (laughs) Like, that could lead to, even if they were somehow magically knew they were all wonderful people, like, that's not cool. That's not for you to decide. That's not for the friends to decide whether or not they should 
be together or whatever or whatnot. And I think right. this is also, again, a similar conversation of all of these things that are built up in society and the things that you experience and continue to experience today. I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I haven't been on accidental dates, so I don't understand that per se. <laughs> I'm a very, very awkward person in that I have the uh, resting bitch face. So that does really well for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the fact that, you know, all of these conversations is just the whole, again, freedom to be your own person hmm. and what that looks like and, and trying to establish as a child, because that's what we're doing is growing up, trying to figure out what are my values, what are my abilities to uh, control what's mm. in my life. And and as we know, for the longest time, children were not allowed mm. to be in control and, and oftentimes told, these are the things you're going to be doing, you got to listen, don't talk yeah. back, just go with it. Um, and I know this makes a lot of sense and there's a thing about respect we can talk about that and and you know be raising a child to be appropriate and all of these things mm-hmm. but for the long time for our generation your generation and my generation because we're a little different off we're having to unlearn some of these toxic ideas yeah. Yeah. of our autonomy mm-hmm. and we see that again i love that you're talking about it now because that's still a problem that still can be a problem for mm-hmm. sure and again there's a difference between teaching them respect and teaching them you know kindness and empathy mm-hmm. versus teaching them you know being controlled and being allowed to be controlled mm-hmm. and i think that's a huge conversation that especially mm-hmm. women especially in women who are interested in music in a mm-hmm. in a field that is dominated by men or interested in like the comedy comedy scene i'm interested in the scene. comedy scene i mean comedy I... scene for sure <laughs> but oh, like yeah. <laughs> but like cosplay and all yeah. of that what does that look like when yeah. it's been you know manned by men, yeah. <laughs> literally. Yep. And so what does that look like when we're teaching ourselves and teaching the generations younger than us, our younger generations of this is what it looks like to yeah. be able to, again, have an autonomous opinion and, and being able to care for yourself and being able to control the environment around you to keep yourself safe. Mm-hmm. And that's a big conversation, and I love that that's what you are teaching yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. It has been, I will say, one of the most rewarding things for me beyond connecting with all of the the women and girls that listen is some male friends in my life have said, I've never considered what it, like, when I ask you to go do something with me, I just don't have the same level of, it was somebody um, who was saying when we first met, he invited me to go see a movie with him and he said oh I've never considered that for you that wasn't a simple oh yes I want to go like there was all of this other right. stuff the, is this a date yes and yeah. if it is, is do I want to be cool? on it right. yeah. yeah like am I safe like am I safe right um, so that has been really rewarding as well and I think as we have these conversations with the younger generation hopefully we're all <laughs> I think it's a lot of unlearning I'm learning oh, from yes. both and all all of the genders, all of the you know, all of yeah. the conversations, all the generations talking about we have to unlearn a lot of toxic Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> true. True. We do have some more for you, listeners, but first we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Let's get back into it. I would love to hear your thoughts on 
maybe that's part of that, uh, the power of music Mm -hmm. uh, for girls and women and what ways Mm -hmm. it can interact with feminism and activism. Yeah. Ooh, power of music. It's so powerful. I mean, well, there's the public political version of that and there's the personal version of that, which is what I mostly focus on in my own work um, because I think playing music or any creative outlet, especially any creative outlet where you can combine like a physical action, Mm -hmm. you know, writing too, I guess that's not as physical, but any creative outlet I think is um, one of just the best things you can do for any mental health issues. Um, And I, I think medicine and therapy have gone a long way for me, but... If those things disappeared, I think music is... And before I had those things, music was was everything for me in that regard. Um, because you can express yourself or you can just play along with a song and feel like... Because when we're going through mental health things, it sometimes it feels like it's never going to end and everything's just so confusing, mm-hmm. up and down. You don't know which of your thoughts you should believe, et cetera. You, you have no structure. It kind of feels like the floor crumbles out from under you and you don't know where you're, you're going to drift off into outer space. But when you're playing a song, you have a rhythm, you have a tempo, you have chord changes to follow, you have a structure, you know what you're supposed to be doing. And you can add your own creative experimentation to that, or you can just play A, G, E, whatever, and play along. And so just feeling secure in a three-minute song or listening to an album and knowing what songs are going to come next uh, can do so much. And for other people, you know, they have different things, whether it's... um, comedy, whether it's playing Dungeons and Dragons or LARPing, whatever it is, whenever you can create this own little world for yourself and feel powerful and secure and in control, like that's what that's what will eventually change the world is people finding their own security and power in whatever it is they do. And for me, that's absolutely music. And then it, it takes the personal into the political and the global. Mm-hmm. So... That's beautiful. Yeah. It is. I love that. <laughs> I love that. I do too. So thank you so much again for being here. Yes. Yeah, and thank you for you what so you're doing and yeah. being open and being so personal because it takes a lot. So that vulnerability is beautiful. Yeah. So thank you for doing that. Yeah. Thank you both for doing what you do too. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> All, the All the loves. All the loves. Where can the listeners find you? Yeah. So Dear Young Rocker is available wherever you get your podcasts. And my band, Banana, is also on Bandcamp. It's a grunge kind of band if you're into that. And we play around Boston all the time. And there's more info about me and what I do at dareyoungrocker.com. So go check that out. Um, When when we're in Boston, (laughs) we'll meet up. We'll meet up. We would have to catch a show, too, for sure. Exactly. Sure, for sure. Exactly. 
Well, thank you again for being here. Um, if you would like to email us, oh my gosh, you can. Our email is stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can also find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You. Thanks as always to our super producer, Andrew Howard. Who also rocks. He does rock. <laughs> and thanks to you for listening. Stuff I'm Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.